mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, and welcome to another episode of Sentimental Garbage. My name is Karen O'Donoghue, and I'm a writer, an author, and the star of a very thinly veiled version of Game of Thrones. Joining me is writer, academic, and bookseller Emma Southern. Today we're going to talk about Barry McFarlane's Who's That Girl? Hi, Emma. Hi. So, um, listeners might feel that this is a slightly different experience to what they're used to, and it's because we're in my hotel room. We are. It feels very fancy. It feels very appropriate for this book, to be honest, which a lot of it takes part in hotel rooms. So. Oh my god, I hadn't even made that connection! <laughs> yeah. That's great. It is. Um, so you had me last night at, um, at Waterstones Belfast, which was a lovely event, except for the one man who attended. It was. There's always, always one man that ruins it. I know. It was such an intimate, lovely event, full of like-minded women, and one man who wouldn't stop interrupting he just kept interrupting we were having a lovely chat a nice Q&A and then he had a question as well which was nice so many questions so many questions about what a book is who you are (laughs) (laughs) what exactly a book deal is my favourite was what colour are your eyes oh did he ask that and I said green and he said my theory is if you really care about someone you'll know what colour their eyes are I wish I was dead so (laughs) (laughs) Um, as the the worst thing about that is that that's the most basic theory ever. Like it if, is. What is that? What? It's not even like that's a staple of all romantic comedy ever. Like <laughs> clearly, he's read some chicklet himself. Well, yeah. Um, speaking anyway. of, what made you choose this book today? Uh, so I chose Who's That Girl by Vari because I'm a big fan of Vari McFarlane. Mm-hmm. Um, she is one of those authors. So I've known her on Twitter since forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the first thing I read of her is where she did this amazing parody article of the ultimate celebrity interview um, years ago, um, which I still sometimes go back to you to read because it makes me laugh so much. And it is the kind of... Um, classic Sunday glossy magazine that you get in uh, in the paper like and Celebrity A came in running off the street having just given £20 to a homeless person <laughs> she's got a massive bag of minstrels which she oh I'm always eating she says as she picks at her burger she curls up with her perfectly clad yoga panted da 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 and it's just like one of these gushing oh my god I, so I definitely read that piece yeah. because I think it is kind of those ones that goes viral again every now yeah. and then um, and I and like it makes complete sense because this is essentially an extended version of that <laughs> yes, joke, this book, um, which I love. Yeah, um, and so I read all of her books because I find her hilarious. She's so funny, um, and I picked this one essentially at random because um, I was like, which one do I want to reread? And this mm-hmm. one was the one that I picked up. So yeah, this is the one that you got, and I, I'm I so glad it. that I chose it because it was I just had such a good time rereading. <laughs> oh, it's so like. This is my first Barry McFarlane, and I'm absolutely loving it. And um, because we planned this quite less at the last minute, I actually haven't finished it yet. But I don't really mind being spoiled for these Sorry, things. I'm going to give you all the spoilers. <laughs> um, all right, so let me do a quick plot summary. Edie Thompson is a London-based advertising copywriter who, at the wedding of her colleagues Charlotte and Jack, finds herself being kissed in the garden by Jack. 
After being branded as a scarlet woman and becoming the victim of a social media hate campaign, she takes a job in her native Nottingham ghostwriting the actor Elliot Owen's memoir. Yeah. And so what's really interesting about it is that we get this character who's like, you know, normal northern woman living in London, bit of a laugh. Yep. Um, who, you know, has done really nothing but make friends the, the, the last sort of 15 years she's been living there. Um, suddenly caught in the storm of this, everyone she knows hates her and just thinks she's a rampant slag. Yep. Um, and, and so she's like put into this weird atmosphere. She's completely exiled from London. But then she finds herself thrown together with this famous actor. Who she thinks is an absolute dickhead. Who yeah. she thinks is an absolute dickhead, <laughs> based on things she's read about him online. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like an interesting sort of like, very interesting comment on like how we perceive people in a way that doesn't feel at all cliched. Yeah, and I think that's a really smart thing about the book and about the, even the title of the book. It's about like, who are you really, basically? Um, yeah. And so much of it, as you come to the end, is about who are you really? Like she has this gay best friend, Louis, who is whoever people want him to be, basically. Mm-hmm. So when he's with her, he's her best friend. But when he is with the people who are bullying her, he's also their best friend. So there's this amazing bit where she gets to confront him at the end and say, you know, even when I'm alone and I don't like myself, I know who I am, mm-hmm. but you must just be empty inside who are you when you're at home by yourself um and so much of the book is about her discovering who she is and who other people around her really are like jack he's such a good villain like when she finally realizes that he's actually a total twat (laughs) so yeah i mean we can't go any further without talking about jack who i think i mean doesn't really appear on the page that much in the book no but is still one of the most chilling villains (laughs) i've read in chiclet ever because so, we've all met him he, it's incredibly realistic we've all been in that situation and what the situation is is that um, uh, Edie you know Jack starts working at her um, advertising agency which is called Ad Hoc it is yes which I really enjoyed <laughs> um, as someone who used to work in advertising um, and he comes in as sort of the boyfriend of one of her kind of vague work colleagues and then he, he becomes, like, that dude in your DMs. Yeah, he's always there with a witty comment, being, yeah. like, charming and flirty. But uh, just at that level of, like, plausible deniability yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, just, like, it's everything could always be a joke. Everything could always be just a little throwaway yeah. comment. Nothing that you can, like, screenshot and send to his girlfriend and be like, he sent me his, the picture of his penis. Uh, <laughs> totally. And, like, she's even aware of that as she's yeah. corresponding with him the whole time. And yeah. she's sort of being, like, drip-fed this sort of trail of breadcrumbs of being, like, keeping, like, a little interested and sort of, like, maintaining his sort of egotistical need to have yeah. somebody fancy him. Yeah, there's somebody is there fancy him. And he's always, like doing this um making her feel like she's the special one that he's telling his true feelings to so he's always like oh I don't really believe in marriage until the moment that he gets engaged to Charlotte which she finds out about because Charlotte comes in with her ring and he doesn't want to buy a house and get married and and leave London until he's she's emailing around saying that we've closed on a house and so she feels like she's she's his one true confidant um but he's but she's not she she's just someone that he is dangling on a string to keep his ego boosted um and it's so i mean who the hell hasn't been there like every everyone i think i I don't it doesn't really happen to me anymore but definitely when i was a little bit younger um finding myself 
basically as a free therapist yeah. to men. Yeah. Um, and like her listening to their like woes all of the time and never really getting anything back. Yeah. <laughs> and being like, oh, but like, I'm the only one I'm who gets special. him. Yeah. Um, I don't get anything out of this. Um, yeah. I don't really know what I want. Because there's a bit where she says like, oh, well, what would have happened if he had kissed you at a different time? Like, would you have like, she's like, I don't really want a relationship with him. Yeah. <laughs> like she, she never thinks keep... any further. She just like, she likes the ego boost as well. And this is a quite a nice thing I think about Vary's books, which is that the main character is kind of a dickhead also in that she is, yeah. She's super passive in this relationship. She's super. She never asks for what like, and quite, some some of her friends call her out, um, and she is completely complicit in this creating this life uh, that she presents online as being like too good for Nottingham, too London. She's glitzy. She works in advertising. She goes out for cocktails. She's super cool. She has flat, um, uh, which makes her sister and her father at home kind of feel terrible about themselves. And her sister super resents her because she thinks that that Edie has abandoned them and has gone off and is having this glitzy London life when actually she's super lonely in London and she wants to be back with her family and she thinks her family hate her. <laughs> yeah, like that. that is another thing that, I mean, there's a lot of very fantastical elements of this book with all yeah. the kind of like celebrity and like a, a famous actor is falling in love with me and stuff. But um, the grounded bits are so grounded and so recognisable that it makes the fantasy feel so much more delicious yeah. do you know what I mean it's like the really good Madeira sponge and the lovely icing on top you know Since this is what I think I think they, this kind of thing is borderline magical realism really yeah. um, <laughs> whereby you've got a super realistic like she went to London because she wanted to get out of Nottingham and who hasn't gone to London because they wanted to get out of their yeah. provincial hometown um, and she is living this life that she thinks she should be living in her 30s working advertising having cocktails having yeah. super pretty friends um and she is you know going home and feeling trapped at home and there's this complicated relationship there and then the magical fantasy element is that she gets to hang out with the guy from thinly veiled game of thrones um who's very handsome and thinks she's delightful um, yeah (laughs) and is in love with her and totally wants to fuck her um and that's you know that's basically the you know magical bit that surrounds it that makes you look at the the realism bits in a slightly different way. It totally does. And he is a great character. But while he is a great character, I cannot imagine him as anything other than Kit Harrington. <laughs> like, you, you thought about Kit Harrington the entire way through, right? I didn't. I'll tell you why, because I've met Kit Harrington. What? <laughs> Brag! <laughs> Only because. So I live in Belfast. Yeah. And obviously, oh, of everything that is um, north is set here. Um and so they do all their filming here and everyone in Belfast has met all of them because Belfast is about six inches wide mm-hmm. so they come into work I work in Waterstones um, so, and he is approximately five foot two uh, so, okay, <laughs> a little short king um, but there's, you know, all those bits where he's like swooping her up and carrying her yeah. around I can't imagine has he come into my books? Hmm? has he come into my books? he has come into my books what does books, he buy? So. this is a scoop <laughs> is it a scoop? <laughs> Uh, he buys non-fiction primarily, I believe. So, um, oh god, he doesn't buy like war books, does he? No, he doesn't. What kind of non-fiction? Um, Come on, give me more. I tell you who. Um, what I last sold, Gwendolyn Riley, was a load of um, feminist theory books. So. <gasps> yes, god queen. Yeah, 
Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm just that that was a complete diversion into yeah. the so, reading habits of Game of Thrones. I imagined him more as um, this is going to be my ignorance of Game of Thrones, but the guy from the south um, who gets his eyes popped out by the mountain. Yes. Um, yeah, I that's remember who I him. like, kind of tall and kind of um, like Latin American mm. and very handsome. Oh yeah, yeah, I could definitely mm. go in for that. Um, cut me off a piece of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pedro Pascal, I believe that thank actor was called. You. Yes. Um, yeah, that's who I imagine him as, but from Nottingham. <laughs> And what's really great about because um, we actually don't meet Elliot for quite a little while yeah. like he's just kind of um, a concept for a long time and she's sort of reading up on him and she does all this um, reading of those glossy Sunday magazine pieces Yeah, and they're so funny because like, I've read parodies of like <laughs> Um, you know, profiles, glossy profiles that are incredibly breathy. But that one where it's like a female journalist writing about a male star and it's the most embarrassing thing <laughs> ever. Yeah. It's like, um, it's like a, everything he says is like, you know, it's like, what is it? Um, like you can almost hear the waitress ovulating. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's so good at that. And I tell you, there's nothing that takes me out of a book more than when people do, um, like, newspaper clippings or parodies or something like that, and they do the the tone wrong. Um, And I, like, read a book really recently where there there were newspaper articles that were supposed to be kind of tabloid, I think, and the tone was just wrong, but Vari just gets it bang on. Like, you can totally read that. That totally reads, like, Mail Online. (laughs) <laughs> you know, completely yeah, no, she and she switches her tone very well between various magazines yeah. and her like her knowledge of the inner workings of celebrity. It makes me want to ask, like, when we get to interview her for this, um, whether or not she spent some time on sets because yeah. like it's very accurate. It is very accurate. Um and she's really good at that, like what it's like to suddenly not be invisible anymore. Like wherever you go, people have their eyes on you constantly. Yeah. Um when you are uh like a famous person I'm not a famous person but I used to go out with a moderately famous person who? Um, I mean he was famous within a specific scene like okay. he's not real famous but in specific scenes um, people would like come up to us on the street and be like oh my god are you Chris? because he was in a band um, oh I see and it was in fucking infuriating uh, I can imagine that <laughs> um, and um, and yeah you do feel like everybody is looking at you it was alright because it was only really whenever we were at festivals or shows or whatever. Yeah, so um, it was contained. Yeah, yeah, but every so often someone would come up to us on Clapham Junction Station with like wearing one of his band's t-shirts um, and then he would be delightful to them and I'd be like... Can't wait to ask you who the band is once we start recording. <laughs> they were great. called Cutting Pink with Knives. Oh, no um, idea. And they were yeah, a grindcore band from the early 2000s um, that were quite famous at the time, yeah. Well done you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so actually, the, the first time they kind of spend any proper time together, these two characters, Elliot and Edie, um, she meets him in the sort of like really kind of old man pub, and he's sort of slouched in the corner wearing like a big wool hat. And like, I can, I'm so, you're so imagining like Colin Farrell in the early <laughs> noughties. <laughs> yes. And he was just wearing like, like a woolly hat a full of holes. Yeah, and it's August. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, he looks like, um, like a fisherman who's on the run for committing murder. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, it's such a good way of describing that specific yeah. celebrity downtime look. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so, and she kind of goes up to him and she's a bit like, 
you know, she thinks this is all kind of a pretension thing. Yeah, she thinks that he's being, like, that he's showing off, basically. Kind of a hiding in plain sight thing. She absolutely does not believe that people are going to recognise him or that it's going to be a problem if people do. Totally, completely. (laughs) Like, she's just like, no. And I also think, I don't know whether that's um, a thing of also being a Londoner where I forget sometimes because, like, you kind of see celebrities around... You see them on the tube, you see them around, um, and like I, because I'm a journalist and I've sort of met quite a few of them to interviewing. I mean, I say met in very loose terms <laughs> because meeting someone at a press junket when they're tired and you're tired, like, is not truly meeting someone. But, but the kind of idea gets deglamorized to you. Yeah. But when you put that in sort of like Nottingham, it kind of becomes a different <laughs> deal. Yeah, yeah. When you're in a little old man pub in Nottingham, then I yeah. suspect that. Pedro Pascal turning up probably would be a thing because people are like her, oh my god yeah um, and, and so she sort of goads him into taking off of his hat and I don't know if it's like a magic hat <laughs> Mate, I don't know I can't remember if she mentions his hair but something about the hair being revealed means that yeah. everybody suddenly recognises him well that's why I thought Kit Harrington because of that lovely oh, curly yeah. long hair that Fair. you would recognise him from the sheen of his beautiful hair and then like literally the, the whole night is ruined and she sort of gets this very sad picture of him having to like sneak out of the yeah. bathroom he has to hide in the loos yeah. <laughs> as good teenage girls chase him down the street I know mm. and it's like Aww. yeah but she totally is she's totally the dickhead in that situation because she's like take your hat off don't be a twat yeah. like, um, and she's kind of horrible to him at the beginning because she thinks he's horrible um, because of everything she's read online and because she like her first encounter with him is when he's breaking up with his famous girlfriend on the phone. Um, oh yeah, and so he ignores her basically because he's in the middle of a breakup, um, and then tells her that he doesn't want to do the book because he doesn't want to do the book. Yeah. Um, and so she is like, well, I've read all this stuff online that says he's a womanizer and a jerk and, and it's a spoiled pretentious brat. and a spoiled brat. Um, and then this seems to prove it to her and then she's determined to prick his little bubble and say you know you're not that special um and as it turns out he kind of is because he's a famous (laughs) but it's it's that thing um and i think that this was very well observed as well and he says it himself because he's got he's revealed pretty quickly as being a very like deep and very decent person and yeah um really funny and really funny which is nice because i thought this was going to be one of like a sort of a a my fair lady situation but in reverse where like she turns the diva into a normal man (laughs) but actually he is a very normal man and that's almost better um because it's um he sort of says to her he's like oh people who don't know me either like um you know they 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 kind of fall over me or whatever and because of that the people who would actually quite like to get to know the people like yourself smart people they immediately take against me because they see that yeah and it's like and i think it goes back to what the entire book about which is judging people based on preconceived notions of them whether you get that online or whether you're reacting to other people's fascination with them. Like, Edie has quite a superior thing where she's, like... Yeah. She's quite proud of herself for not fancying him. Yes. Because um, she's like, oh, all the girls at um, the advertising agency used to love him, but I thought he looked a bit like a something. A trainee barista. <laughs> like a trainee barista! <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, like, isn't it so weird when pe- and men do this a lot? Yeah. When they, like, think that what makes them special is that they don't fancy the celebrity that people fancy. They don't fancy the incredibly handsome person. Yeah. You know, like, everybody fancies them. They're very good looking. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I remember, she like... She entirely thinks that she's too good for them. <laughs> she, yeah, she thinks... She, and, yeah, completely. Um, but then at the same time, she's like, whenever she's around him, she's like, oh, a famous person just gave me a beer. 
Yeah. And then, like, so much of the... When when he... Like, the last third of the book is basically people desperately trying to tell her that he fancies her. (laughs) Including him. And, like, his brother is like, he's besotted with you. And he's like, I like you. (laughs) And she says, I don't give a shit about you, like, in this stupid fight that they have in the street. Um, And, like... so much of it is people just being like he really likes you by the way he's into you he won't stop playing Radiohead because you were horrible to him and she's like no (laughs) he's a famous and I'm a 36 year old woman from Nottingham Um, I'm completely overlooking that he's a 30 something man from Nottingham um, because she has this notion that he's too good for her um, and like that she doesn't somehow deserve that but eventually it all you know works out eventually I really like the ending of this one a lot. I'm going to spoil everything. Sure, spoil it. Spoil it for me. (laughs) (laughs) Because, so it ends with, like, they get together. They have finally talked to each other. um, And, like, after a good third of the book of you wanting to just shake her. And she's like, oh, he doesn't like me at all. He said that because he doesn't like you at all. And you're kicking her and going, like, oh, my God. (laughs) Could you be more naive? Could you be more naive? Exactly. Um, And... So they finally get together and then they have these kind of lovely romantic evenings in a hotel room um, and a lot of shagging. And then he's like, I have to go back to L.A. My film has finished and the book is done um, and I'm going to go and have my acting career. And she has just decided that she's going to stay in Nottingham and get a flat. And she's sorted things out with her friends. Aww, I'm so glad. Um, and she's like, I'm going to I don't want to go back to London. My best friends are here. My family are here. They kind of they there's this whole like plot line with her family that we'll get to um and he says like come to LA with me um we'll be my girlfriend we'll fly around the world together you'll be my everything and she says no because I'm not going to be your sponger girlfriend in an unequal relationship where I contribute nothing and I just watch sit around and drink gin and take pain pills all day um (laughs) and he's like I will give you anything you want like whatever you want we'll make any compromise I'll buy a house in Nottingham and I'll commute from Nottingham she's like fuck off you will um no like celebrities don't commute from Nottingham (laughs) um and so she says no and she breaks up with him basically she's like I I love you but we can't do this because I won't be in an unequal relationship I've spent all this time I've been through all of this trauma like losing everything and because her thing with Jack was very much like she was this thing that was squeezed in in the edges of his life and her self esteem was low enough so that that was fine for her yeah and the the whole process of this book is her discovering like that she can say what she wants and she can be a bit more forthright and she knows what she wants Um, and so she sends him off to LA and he goes and does his thing and then um, she builds herself a little life and like it skips forward and she has her friends and her family and they're living with her sister and they're having like she's got a nice life in Nottingham and then Elliot turns up on the door to like mm. and it ends with him like appearing at the door on Christmas um, see I love this is a message that happens a lot in my favourite uh, chiclet books which is um it's the field of dreams thing. It's the, the build, build it and <laughs> yeah, they will come. Exactly. There's always this moment where the woman, like, ha- like towards the last third, um, just sort of builds a new life, a real, and, like, basically takes the bits from her old life as she plucks it from the wreckage um, and then just starts again afresh. And it's generally, I love it when it's, like, in the city that they were born yeah. in. It's fine, I find that very satisfying. <laughs> And and um and this is done really well in that book of like someone just like scrapping their whole life 
going back to basics and just rebuilding from there and it takes six or eight months yeah. and then by the end of it it's like she's built herself a life that someone wants to enter into exactly you know and she doesn't have to surrender herself to him because she, she is she knows who she is she knows where she is she has this thing and so he comes back to her um, yeah. and then presumably in the future they work something out but um, I, I, and I, I really love that because there's something you said to me last night that I've been thinking about and I haven't really hit on yet in this podcast which is um the chiclet as a genre is about the concept of having it all yeah isn't it explain that a little bit more you said that last night so my theory right this is my theory is that we are the first generation like women in our like late 20s 30s who our parents kind of built this world for us our family like as middle class people um our our mothers were the first ones really to go to, to be going to work, to be having careers who were like, who built that for us. Um, in the seventies and the sixties, they created this idea that women can have a career and can be in the world of work in the same way that men can, not in a support role. Um, and then they had us and they mm-hmm. brought us up to see our parents having these careers. And from the moment we were born as little middle-class girls, they were saying, you can have your career, you can mm-hmm. do anything you want, you can be anything you want, you can have that, and you can also have the family, and you can have find love, and you can have kids and pets, and also um, we get stuck in this world, and also you can be super beautiful and have really great hair. Um, mm-hmm. And so our parents fought for it, and now we're the first lot coming through it, and so much of Chiclet is then trying to kind of work through is that possible and what choices do you have to make to to make that possible like mm-hmm. do you have to like Edie she wants a career she wants to have a world of work she wants to have this world where she feels complete in herself but she does also want to be with Elliot and she has to make this choice of is she going to give up one or the other because in it, that, it always comes down to that isn't it yeah. it comes down to the choice of the man of the life exactly and like and that is the choice that women have to make and like coming into the age that we are now loads of our friends are having to make this decision of like am I gonna I'm having children um am I how's that gonna affect my career that I'm gonna have do I want a child or do I want to now or do I want to keep going for 10 years until I'm in a position with my career and then I can have and like so much of Chiclet is working out those issues and and working on this book is so much about working out the issue of all of us who went to London to create the life that we thought we should have um, and then didn't find it there because it turns out that there were a million people in London all trying to do the same thing yeah. um, and then going home or going elsewhere and finding, you know... Which is what, what you did. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, um, for context, me and Emma met years ago <laughs> in our early 20s because um, we, we were both the girls in this part of this very large group of boys um, and you were dating a friend of mine and I'm really glad that we've stayed in touch yeah. because I think you're bloody awesome um, but yeah you you left about four years ago and I remember thinking like you're leaving London <laughs> to move to Belfast? I know right uh, yeah uh, so I moved to Belfast and by the way now that I'm, I've actually visited Belfast uh, it's great it's, it's a lovely city and really I, lovely. I, I, I really enjoy it but it, it's kind of one of those moves where people are like oh well she's given up yeah you know? <laughs> yeah um, and I you know and I um yeah, and it was a bit, I don't know, London stresses me out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fucking stressful. <laughs> um, and 
Yeah, so I quit it. But um, I I came here for a boy, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you are chicklet. I am chicklet. You you okay? So you moved to Belfast to be with a boy. Yeah. You work in a bookshop. I do. I've written a book. You've written a book. <laughs> um, called yeah. Agrippina. Called Agrippina. Um, yeah. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com The other thing about chiclet mm. is that so it is a it is a secret way of dealing with really heavy issues. Uh, <laughs> well, that's that's the big thing, isn't it? It's like so much you you look at a, I don't know Safest in Kinsella novel or a Marion Keys yeah. novel or even this novel. Like the covers are very soft, very like pastel colors very kind of like they look fun and so much of what gets dismissed about it is oh it's just fun and light and popcorn it's like you know it's got no calorific content Um, and you but then you read it and you're like oh well this is a one it's a story about kind of coming into yourself but two there's this really up upsetting subplot about suicide and postnatal depression and um online bullying and it's very very um Interesting and very sad, um, and we'll have to put like a content warning on the episode. But um, essentially, uh, Edie is so not. We, when we meet her, she's like this very confident, very bulky. Like she's very much like that northern chick. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, she has loads of friends and all that. Um, and then we kind of get this sense that she's sort of afraid, of, afraid to look vulnerable, afraid to appear needy. Afraid to need any like need Edie. Yeah. <laughs> like, afraid to like um need anyone in a serious way, which is why she kind of gets herself into this emotional affair where she's set in the margins of someone's life. And in a lesser book, that quality would just exist because it exists. Yeah. But in this book, and and it, it gets very dark. Um, it's uh revealed about halfway through the novel that Edie's mother committed suicide in quite a graphic way. Yeah. Um, and it is quite you know, it's got quite a description of her people trying to talk her out of it and her deciding to do yeah, it. Yeah, and people literally saying, Think of your children yeah. and then her going along with it anyway. And there's a, a terrible and what feels like not 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 I'm not saying that very McFarlane went through this but it it's so detailed and nuanced it and it's really upsetting but basically she gets taken out of school by like her aunt or something and the aunt thinks that the school has explained that her mother has killed yeah. herself um and school thinks the opposite and so basically she's like halfway through into this day where all the adults are grieving around her and her being like where is mom and yeah. then an uncle literally being like has no one told you yeah. she's dead <laughs> and it's so horrible it is and then they won't let her go to the funeral because they think that yeah, she's, she's got about nine children she? yeah. yeah so she never gets and then everybody in the family thinks that um thinks that they're doing some everyone else a favor by not talking about it yeah. so her dad doesn't want to upset the children so they 
don't talk about it. Her sister is like idolizes her and doesn't want to talk to her about how she's feeling. She thinks that they feel something, so she doesn't want to talk to them. And so they get into this like little triangle of silence mm. where they all think something else about what the other person is thinking, yeah. um, and nobody actually says anything. And there's this finally this cathartic moment when um, her next door neighbor who is great. Margot. Margot, I'm going to spoil this for you now. I'm really sorry. Margot dies. No! (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, I should have seen that coming. She's an elderly neighbour. That's their job. She's an elderly neighbour who smokes and drinks too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And wears a load of lipstick. But, um, yeah, but she she passes away peacefully in her home. Oh, good. Um, And this, um, and Edie is there and finds her. And then um, that moment where she breaks over Margot, it kind of cracks open the family and they are able to talk about all these things they should have been talking about for 20 years um, and say like it turns out they don't even know that her dad still has their mum's ashes because he never wanted to say, he decided that they owned them, the children um, and didn't want to scatter them without asking them, but never wanted to upset them by saying, Oh, wow. Still got your mum here. Do you want to do something? So it kind of cracks it open. And they are finally able to have this really, this moment where they say what they feel about each other, where she gets to say, I feel like you hate me and you don't want me. And Meg, who is this like proper, like parody of a social justice warrior. (laughs) Oh, she is. She's very much a person on Twitter. She has white dreads. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She is, she gets real mad when anybody even thinks about bacon in her vicinity. Um, And she takes everything that Edie says to her as an insult. Mm -hmm. Um, And she, um, she finally gets to say that she always feels that Edie is looking down on her, that she feels like she has to defend herself constantly. And the reason that she does this is because she felt like Edie abandoned her when she was a teenager Mm. and Edie ran off to London and had this cool life and left her in Nottingham festering and doing nothing. Um, And their dad gets to say, sorry, I literally never talked to you about it. I just didn't want to upset you any further. And they have this kind of beautiful cathartic moment where they're able to actually say their feelings and so much of the book I think is about that like saying what you want saying what you need saying what you actually think and not just assuming that you know what someone's thinking (laughs) because based on your preconceptions of yourself completely yes absolutely and like the I think that's something that's a really interesting theme for me which is um women learning to ask for things Mm. like learning to ask for clarity on what someone thinks or feels (laughs) learning to ask for boundaries learning to ask for like commitment from people I think we definitely our generation anyway were raised in this idea of like um, basically if you do this kind of cool aloof I don't care thing especially when it comes to men that like that will create a sort of like a you will be the siren that lures him to the rocks and then he will just be stuck in your rock bed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but actually, what this is... What, what I'm seeing it more and more, actually, in Chicklet these days, where it's like, um, it is, that thing of, like, it is not needy or desperate <laughs> to request things from people yeah. that you need emotionally. Or just say to somebody that you've been talking to for six months and flirting with, like... Yeah, what's going on what's here? What's going on here? Yeah, do you like me? Yeah. Um, or even... Like, just say, I like you. Um, well, there was a thread on Twitter the other day. Um, I want to say it was Priya ebooks. was saying the thing that she's learned most about dating is that 
straight men hate it when you're nice to them in the early stages <laughs> they get really freaked out by you being nice to them oh god um, that's so true yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah it quite possibly is true um, I am relentlessly oblivious so that yeah. um, I was I'm just kind of furiously nice to people and it always generally seemed to work out but I'm furiously oblivious so um, and I'm very grateful that I never have to go through it again uh, the whole dating thing oh yeah here's hoping <laughs> here's hoping but um, but yeah like so much like that is just saying hey I like you I saw a thing yeah, yeah. I thought you'd like it um, how you doing how was your day um, it is uh, showing an interest in somebody mm-hmm. and and saying and making that first contact or just being nice to them um there is so much fear about that of like oh maybe i have to wait three days before i call him maybe if i reply with too many emojis is he gonna not want to talk to me um yeah or you just but eventually you know you just have to say so it's interesting in chicklet how that often comes across where it's like it'll be a woman who like basically acts like she's going to stick up her eyes for weeks at a time while quietly being in love with a man yeah. and then she'll just like come on really strong and like you often get these the guys are often like the straight men in a way yeah. in li- literally in all forms of being like what you were cold and, and now you're hot and like what's going on which is broadly what happens here because she yeah. gets in a temper with him um because he tries to warn his brother off... He, Elliot tries to warn his brother off of her because his brother also really fancies her because she's a babe. Mm. Um, and I love that she's a babe. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and she has no idea that she's a babe, apparently. Um, yeah. But her brother wants his brother wants to bang her, so Elliot tries to warn him off in a really bad way, and she sees um, and gets into... A, <sighs> the overheard conversation. Exactly. Such a staple. Like, um, and she storms out, and then you have a, a classic scene where he keeps saying, let me explain, but not explaining. <laughs> but to be fair to him, he is not explaining because there are a bunch of people in the streets of Nottingham filming on their camera phones um, and shouting at them about Game of Thrones. It's thinly veiled Game of Thrones. Um, What's thinly veiled? Yeah, blood, blood and gold, I think Blood and called. gold. <laughs> She's basically... Yeah. History of England. It is, <laughs> it is as we learn. Um, but he, um, yeah, so he's like, oh, let me explain. And then she lets him have it. And is like, oh, I don't give a shit about you, Elliot Owens. You're just a business deal to me. Um, oh, you don't mean anything. No. <laughs> and it ends up on the Daily Mail. And it ends up in the Daily Mail and the Mirror. Um, and a picture of her flicking the Vs to some kids who are shouting at <laughs> um, That's amazing. Yeah. And, um, and then mysteriously he then thinks that she doesn't give a shit about it <laughs> that this is just a business relationship to them and then she's all like why is he being so cold to me? <laughs> um, oh, um yeah um which is great and then she has to eventually he's like well you did tell me yeah. that you hated me and i meant nothing to you and she's like oh yeah obviously i didn't mean that <laughs> Um, so she's the straight guy in this situation totally and just yeah I love the sort of like just not not like like holding other people's behaviour to an incredibly high standard of clarity but yeah. then like being completely obtuse yourself and like, actively saying the opposite of what like the one time you're finally going to say what you think yeah. and that's what you're going to say love it yeah um, it's a, a beautiful comedy of errors it is um, it is a beautiful comedy of errors it is and you get to be furious at both of them yeah for because you know stuff about both of them that the other person doesn't know the, the one thing that I would have liked differently in this book, and this is not a criticism of Ari at all, but it's just um, 
there was a territory that she almost explored and it made me think like, oh, maybe I'll write that book. Okay. <laughs> um, which is, there's a point where she's um, getting to know him where she's picked up on a few different clues, which is basically that like, he talks about being sort of sensitive and unsporty as a kid. Yeah. He talks about sort of like, he's very um, distant about his relationships and she's like, Oh, he's gay. Yeah, he finds himself in the drama club. Yeah, there's all these like like very funny, interesting codifiers for what like a closeted man is. Yeah, and she's like, and he's you know, let's not put too fine a point on it. He's very pretty. Yeah, um, and uh, and yeah, and so she immediately. It's one of the things that endears her so deeply to him because she feels very protective of him then and she feels that she it's her job to sort of... To protect his secret. To protect his secret, yeah. And she really goes around with this idea for a while but it made me think, like, why don't we have a good romance book about being someone's beard? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't it be so good? <laughs> that would be great, yeah. Like, if you were, like, someone's beard and you loved them very deeply and they were, like, a famous actor, but then, like, you fell in love with their, like, PA oh, or something. Oh, yeah. You had to have a secret relationship yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. So, if anyone wants to get on that... Yeah, please write it. <laughs> yeah, we need more... Yeah. I mean, we strongly need more um, queer rom-coms, I reckon, so... I very much agree. The the famous actor should also have a beautiful relationship where he... Oh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that he should be, like, with some kind of a Tom Ford-esque designer, yeah. and that should be that. Maybe we should just write this. We'll just write it. Just write it. Yeah, all right, that's what we're going to do after this. <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, no, I think that is really good. And then it turns out that his terrible secret is the least terrible secret of all time, which is that he's adopted. That was a bit like, okay. Well, no, it is good because it's basically like he's adopted. His um, He was... Um, his father killed his mother in, in a, a drunk driving accident. Yeah. It gets a little bit soap opera in that Does area, it. but I understand why it needs to be his there. His real name is Carl. His uh, real name is Carl. Uh, and then their parents very... I don't, know, I don't know if any Carls listen to this, but just in case, very sensibly change his name. <laughs> and then decide not to tell him that they adopted him. And his father, so his father killed the mother and then went to prison. And so he was put up for adoption. And his parents adopted him because they thought they couldn't have children yeah. and when he was two. And then found out that actually they could um, yeah. in a kind of classic. Which actually happens more in real life than you think. I know two couples who that happened to. I reckon it's because the stress comes off, the stress of trying. Yeah. Um, and then your hormones can kind of re-regulate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it... Um, that's my biology. <laughs> um, a good known doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Do- doctor of history, Emma Southern. Doctor of history, Emma Southern, with some opinion. I'm like the reverse Richard Dawkins, which is that I'm really good at social science and now I've got some opinions about biology. <laughs> um, you are! <laughs> um, I reckon I can do it. If you can do it that way, I can go the other way. Totally. You can Seems easy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, he... Uh, yeah, so then they have Fraser, the sporty, like, investment banker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, who I, you can just imagine kind of bounding about like a Labrador. Oh my God, I know that guy, yeah. Like like lovely, silly, big posho like boy. floppy hair everywhere. Just like a posho boy you don't want to kill. Yeah. Because he's just like so like, oh, oh, terribly sorry. Oh, Dying, well, don't, come to the pub. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> punting. Yeah, exactly. And he's delightful. But he, um... Then and they ne- decided to never tell Fraser after Elliot found out by accident, um, yeah. and then it, 
someone is writing like a tell-all a book. Yeah, that's something we him. haven't actually mentioned at all. Um, is that the reason that their Edie is doing this ghost-written memoir is because they're trying to beat depress this very unofficial, unauthorized, very salacious, very muckrakey um, Biog- biography yeah. that's about to come out. That where he, this woman is going around and making his nan cry. Yeah, um, and she has hunted down his biological father um, and is has got him to like do an interview about how sad he is that his child was taken away from him um and this somehow like flips elliot he he basically walks off of work which is Mm. unforgivable but yeah (laughs) um uh, and he loses his mind about the situation and is like everything is going to be terrible because um people are going to find out that i'm adopted (laughs) Like, as if, like, I mean, everyone loves people who are adopted. Like, if I have someone's adopted, I tend to like them slightly more. I'm He's like, ooh, mystery. A very handsome man who everybody thinks is delightful, who now has a tragic backstory. Yeah, this is going to be fine. <laughs> but he, I mean, he is traumatised by the fact that he has never wanted to know about his, his biological father mm-hmm. or his biological family, and now he has to engage with it. And I think that he is projecting his horror over that, like his yeah. trauma over that, onto the fact that he's a famous person and thinking that people are going to give a shit. Um, yeah. But and that's very interesting, isn't it? Because it is, a, it is a, in part, a book about ignoring your childhood trauma until you can no longer ignore it. Yeah. Because that's the thing that they share, is that she's tried to, like, kick dirt over the fact that her mother killed herself and she's irreparably damaged because of it, as is her entire family. Yeah. And he's trying to kick dirt over the fact that he, like, not only is adopted, but he's been hiding his adoption from his own brother yeah. his whole life. Um, and now, like, he's going to have to confront that and he's going to have to confront his brother and say, sorry, I've been lying to you for our entire life. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so he, get, he gets very, very traumatised about, about that. <laughs> um, and it is... As a secret goes, like... Yeah, it is deliciously soapy. It is deliciously soapy and deliciously rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, because you just want to be a little bit, like, just face what you're actually afraid of, which is talking to your brother. Um, And not, like... And the fact that this has been a festering secret in your heart, rather than the fact that you think that the tabloids care. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And even Edie's like, people understand what a stitch-up is. Do you know what I mean? Like, they'll get it, don't worry. And he's like, no, it'll be, he'll paint himself as the victim. And you're like... No, it's totally Meghan Markle's dad, isn't it? It is, yeah. Entirely (laughs) Meghan Markle's dad. Which is, like, is really annoying, but I really don't think that that many people in the real world care. It's just that, like, it probably hurts her on a personal level. I know! Who wants to hurt her? Nobody wants to hurt her. Like, think what you want about the royals, but protect Meghan at all costs. I would protect Meghan at all costs. (laughs) Um, I would... I care very little. And actually, by association with Meghan Markle, I will now protect Harry at almost all costs. Oh, yeah. Because obviously he's had such brilliant taste um, Mm. in women that... Uh, Yeah, like, the, the fact that he, like, waited for the right... Like he was like he mm-hmm. waited for the right girl. He yeah. really did, and he went like he went to bat for her. Like good for him. He's been being a bit weird about Fortnite right now, but he's a royal, so he is being weird about Fortnite. What is that? I don't know. He seems to think that Fortnite should be banned. I'm not sure he knows what it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's call it two weeks already. <laughs> <laughs> the Americans don't have a Fortnite. Why do we have to have one? Oh, indeed. Um, yeah, but so I will totally go to bat with him because I'm like if he. He yeah. must, like, have great taste in women, so yeah. he must have something else going on underneath there. Yeah, we can only assume. I don't know. Um, we should probably uh, wrap up, because okay. I have a bus to get. You do have a bus to get. I've got a bus to another country. 
Unbelievable. You won't be able to do that much longer. No. Um, but um, you have so many things. You've got a podcast, you've got a book, you've got another book that you're working on. Please yes. take the next two minutes to just plug yourself senseless. Okay. So, yes, I have a podcast, which I do with our mutual friend, Janina Matthewson, mm-hmm. um, which is called History is Sexy, mm-hmm. where people send us their history questions and we answer them um, and show them that history is really sexy and fun. So uh, I had an episode come out yesterday, which is the question is, uh, what links an actress, an emperor and a goose oh um and the answer is salacious uh, <laughs> um but i won't ruin it for people um so yeah so that you can find us on twitter that's at sexy history pod or you can Ooh. google it and that's good fun um i have book out which is uh, so my background is roman history i have a phd in roman history mm-hmm. um and so my first book is a um biography of the empress agrippina the younger called agrippina empress exile hustler whore which is a uh, kind of book for people who don't know anything about Romans um, and is, has lots of joke about David Cameron in them, um, which was recently translated into Spanish and the poor translator had to put in about 400 footnotes explaining my jokes. <laughs> poor, poor translator. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I have a new book which I'm working on at the moment, which will be out next year, which is called A Fatal Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, which is about all the flavours of Roman murder. So mm. Roman true crime. Oh, delicious. Yeah. And I believe Agrippina has just been picked up by a TV studio. It has been picked <gasps> up by a TV studio. So eventually in probably a decade or so, you might see that on TV. <laughs> TV moves very slowly. Um, but yeah. But in terms of Agrippina's sort of like history span, almost no time at all. Almost no time at all. I do tend to think in decades. Yeah. Because when you do ancient history, anything shorter than 50 years is considered to be pretty short. So It's good, isn't it? Like it's the same when you work in publishing or around publishing because everything yeah. takes a few years to come out. So like when somebody's like getting married next year, I'm like, whew. That's a, that's a short lead time. Yeah. <laughs> Have you thought of... It doesn't seem like you can project manage your way through that that quickly. Um, yeah, whenever people talk about, like... I talk about cultural change. I'm really a cultural historian, so I'm like... Yeah. I mean, not, you know, 50 years. Not, not a lot changes in 50 years, really. We're still dealing with the fallout of what happened 100 years ago. Um, but yeah, and that's, that's a very good reason to listen to your podcast. It is a very good reason to yeah. listen to my podcast, because... Um, I like to we're as unofficial subtitle is history is complicated so because quite often we come back to history is complicated but it's very good fun um, yeah. and and I'm on Twitter you can see me I'm at Nuclear Teeth at Nuclear Teeth yeah Love and if it. you're in Belfast and you're in Waterstones then you say can hi come visit me yeah you're the girl with the skeleton tattoo. I'm the girl with the skeleton tattoo. The unpublished Stieg Larsson. <laughs> <laughs> and the ten unpublished Stieg Larsson books that are coming out once a year for some reason um, that I'm just not even going to comment on. Fair enough. Um, Emma, thank you so much. This has been fabulous. You've thank been you. great. And thank you, Barry McFarlane, for writing a very good book. Yeah, thank you, Barry. Please write more. <laughs> This has been Sentimental Garbage and I've been Karen O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaralineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Dave for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. 
From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com